Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening. We will continue our study of the names of Jesus, specifically the names that Jesus referred to himself as. We started four, five weeks ago. I can't remember exactly now when it was. Four or five weeks ago, we began studying this, uh, talking about the names of Jesus, as I said, specifically those which he referred to himself as. And we started looking at the I Am's of Jesus from the book of John. We talked about the I Am, the bread of life. We talked about I Am the light of the world, of John 8, 12. We also talked about I am the door from John 10, 7, and 9. I believe that was where we made it. We may have started on I am the good shepherd, but I cannot remember. Um, but I wanted to make a couple quick references back to I am the door from John 10, 7, and 9, and also from John 10, 11, where he said I am the good shepherd. I want to bring out a couple points of that, and then I want to move on to uh, John eleven twenty five, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and move on to John chapter 14, where we'll spend the bulk of our time tonight, and if we get to it, we'll cover John chapter 15, where he says, I am the vine. Um, if not, I think it's the 24th, I will be back to finish this study up. And if we get through all the I am's, I have a few other uh, texts that I want to look at, uh, Lord willing, that we get through the material we already have. So if you open your Bibles to John chapter 10, and John 10, Jesus is talking there, and he uses the parable of the good shepherd. And if you look back, Beginning in verse 1, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper openeth, or opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and they and the sheep follow him, for they know him, they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who, all who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out 
and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that that they may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is the hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. So when you talk about Jesus being the door and Jesus being the good shepherd, he's talking here in the same parable and he's using two instances or two different uh, ways to describe himself. For him to use two different uh, descriptions of himself is not, uh, it's not to be underestimated or misunderstood. The greatness of Jesus and what he does to us, for us, and what he means to us is so great that to illustrate him with one thing that we understand as a human is not really given the full picture. Here he's talking about being the door, the door to the area where the sheep are protected. The only way to come into this area is through the door to get to the sheep, and the only way, the only person getting through the door is the shepherd. If you're going to get in to get a sheep, and not go through the door, the only way to do so would be to break in. Where he talks about the thieves and the robbers. Talking to those who are the, the, the religious leaders of the day. You know, when you talk about the law of Moses and where the, the, the Jewish faith was or the Jewish system was at this time, is like looking at the landscape of the religious world today where we have the church, we have the Bible, we have God's Word, but you have all these different variations. You have people trying to teach one thing over here, something else over there. You had the same thing in the time of Jesus with the law of Moses. You had people who were changing it, adding to it, making traditions, binding what God had not bound. You know, uh, when Jesus was talking to Matthew 7, and said, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that in your name? Or, uh, he would say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There are going to be people, there are people who believe that they're doing God's will throughout all eras, who say they do things in the name of God, but really do things in their own glory, for their own glory. They don't do things for the the glory of God, the glory of the kingdom, the glory of the church. So when Jesus was talking to him here, talking about the robbers and the thieves, it's those people that would come in and try to hurt the church, that would try to deceive the church, that would try to lead the saints, the Christians astray. He said, I'm the door. When you're in Christ, you're safe. Then he said, I'm the good shepherd and they know me by my voice and I protect them. You see, when we follow after Christ and we follow after His teaching, we follow after what the apostles taught in His name, not another, but that which He taught, then we're following His will, we're doing His deeds, 
and we're in Him. So he uses the illustration that I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Telling us that in Christ, that in Him, through Him, we have safety, security, and leadership. So these two parables, or these two I am statements, though they are different I am statements, can be looked at together to be understood that he is the one true answer for our salvation. Now, look at John chapter 11. In John 11, in verse 25, Jesus makes the statement there, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, to understand this statement, in John chapter 11, you have uh, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is sick. And they want Jesus to come because they know that Jesus has the ability to heal. So they want Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus. And in verse 6 of John chapter 11, so when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed... Lazarus was sick. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he waited. He waited two days after hearing that Lazarus was sick before he decided to return. In Verse 4, when referring to the sickness of Lazarus, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, in using this occasion to show God's power over death, to show His ability to resurrect from the dead, to show him or show them what he means when he talks about his own resurrection from the dead. Jesus had already uh, performed two resurrections in uh, Luke 7 and Luke 8. Both of those were very immediate after death. You have skeptics, you have critics, whatever you want to call it, that whenever somebody is resurrected immediately after death could say, well, maybe maybe they weren't really dead. Maybe maybe they were just, you know, what we would consider today a coma. In this instance, John makes sure that we know that Lazarus has been dead and been dead for an extended period of time by mentioning that he was in the tomb and that he had been dead for four days. If you look at John chapter 11 and verse 14... Uh, it says that Jesus said unto them, Lazarus is dead. In verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. And in verse 39, Jesus said to take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him who had, who was, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. For he has been dead four days.
was no doubt that Lazarus was dead. There was nothing that anybody could say. It had been so long that the body would have already started decomposing. You know, in John 11, verse 25, let's back up just a little bit. Let's go back to verse 20. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. It says here that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's so many times when you look at the Bible, when you look, study the Bible, and you see people who had faith in Jesus, but they didn't understand the faith that they had in Jesus. You have the woman with the issue of blood who just said, if I could touch his garment, I know I'll be healed. You have... So many examples of people believing in Jesus and following Jesus, but they don't understand fully the power of Jesus. Martha had no doubt that Jesus could have saved her brother. Sure, she had seen some of the miracles and seeing what he was able to do, she had no doubt that he would have been able to save Lazarus. But it did not enter her mind that he could raise him from the dead. I believe that this miracle and this statement here is done to show them what he is capable of, what God is capable of. So when he raises from the dead and uh, after his betrayal on the third day, they understand. He's laying that foundation. He's showing that power. In verse 22, he's, uh, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now she believes him. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. How does she believe him? She's been listening to his teaching. She's a faithful follower of his teaching. She believes in the resurrection. She's talking about in the judgment. She's talking about in the end. She doesn't realize he's talking about I will raise him from the dead right now. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the, Lord, the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come and who is to come into the world. Verse 43 Jesus standing before the tomb after he told him to roll away the stone and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. He raised them from the dead to show his power on this earth over death. 
show his ability to resurrect. That nothing on this earth is out of his reach and out of his power. The statement there in verse 25 saying he is the resurrection. And that he is the life. Shows that he has the grasp over our enemy. Over sin. Over all things that can bring us down in this world. And that he can resurrect us to him in the end. Now, John 14. Before I get there, has anybody got questions, comments, corrections? Yes, sir. But uh, in chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the door. That immediately put me in mind in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way to you. No one goes to the Father except through me. Truthfully, all these statements build so much upon themselves. When he talks about being the bread of life, you know, uh, I believe we talked that week about uh, being able to sustain life without food. Uh, it is impossible. Spiritually speaking, he is that food. When he talks about being the door and the good shepherd, he is that way to salvation and he is the leader of that. And John 14 If you've ever been in a Bible class that I teach, I, some, at some point or another during that Bible class, I'm going to say this is like my favorite passage in the Bible. And I might do it more than once. And it'll be about different passages. So if you truly know which one my favorite one is, let me know. I'm not sure I do. But John 14, 1 through 6 is one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. I love John 14, 1 through 6. And I do a lesson every once in a while when I, when I have the opportunity to speak at different places, and I do a lesson on encouraging words. And the lesson on encouraging words takes different passages from the Bible that encourages Christians. And my favorite passage out of that entire lesson is John 14, 1 through 6. And it's just what it means. In John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on and says, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, that where I am, you may be also. And he says, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Then in verse 6, he said, I am the truth, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. As a Christian, there are no words, in my opinion, that can give more comfort than what he just said. I go and prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you, that where I am, there you may be also. 
You know, to understand the context of this a little bit better, back up to John chapter 13. If you back up to John chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 31, uh, you see that, well, go back just a little bit further, and you see that Judas has just departed. See, Jesus at this point understood that Judas was the one that would betray him. And Judas has just departed in verse, uh, I think it's verse 20. Let's see, no, excuse me, I'm. Verse 30, thank you. Uh, having received the piece of bread, but he then went out immediately and it was not. So Judas has just left to betray. Jesus. And here you have him talking to the eleven, the other eleven, and he's going into a, an extremely long discord with them. And truthfully, if you look at John 13, beginning in verse 31, it continues from there all the way to, to John chapter 16 and verse 33. And the I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine are both made in this uh, discord that he has with the apostles. And he is, his time is at hand. He, he knows this. He is awaiting, knowing that his betrayal is imminent. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 13, he said the hour is at hand. Or the scripture says the hour is at hand. He knows that his death upon the cross is coming. Uh, you remember in John 17, he said, Lord, if you will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, not looking forward to his death upon the cross, but accepting his death upon the cross. And the statement that he makes in John 14 is one of comfort, encouragement to all those that believe in him and follow after him. And while he is preparing them and encouraging them, he takes time to comfort them while being in a time of stress on his own. You know, I'm hard-pressed to, to think of a, a, an example of this. Uh, but I would think uh, of a parent with a child who is going through a natural disaster like an, an earthquake or a flood or a, a tornado or something like that, and it's bearing down on you, and you're nervous and you're worried about what's going to happen, and you're worried, but your child is scared, so you're sitting there reassuring them. And I, this is probably not a, a good comparison because I don't know how to really make this comparison. But you have Jesus who is being, who has prepared himself knowing that his hour is coming, that his death upon the cross is imminent, and he's taken this opportunity to encourage, but also comfort his followers. He thinks of their needs and, and, and looks to them. So you have John 14, 1 through 4, which is just, I do not know how to describe it. 
You know, in Peter, when he says there's an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved for you. I always like to look at that passage and make this statement. It was so wonderful, he didn't know how to describe it, so he told you what it, not, what it wasn't. It wasn't something that was corruptible. It wasn't something that could be tarnished or ruined. That's how perfect it is. I can't tell you how good it is, but I can tell you what it's not. This statement to a Christian in John 1, or John 14, 1 through 4, is so encouraging that I don't know how to describe it to you. Other than when you read it and you see what he says, you find comfort and hope and joy. This is a passage that I hear read at funerals of Christians. Why would we read it at the funeral? the funeral of a Christian, because if they were faithful, God said, Jesus said, I have prepared a place for you. And I will come again, and I will receive you. And in telling them this, <coughs> uh, if you look back just a little bit in John chapter 13, When Jesus is saying in verse 36, uh, Simon Peter said, Lord, where will you go? After he's told him that he will not be with them forever. Uh, he said, whether I go, thou canst not follow me, uh, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Saying you can't go with me right now, but later you will be able to. <clears throat> to which we know Peter said he would lay down his life for Jesus. Jesus told him before the cock, uh, the rooster crowed three times that he would deny him three times. And he tells him what he, what he does in verses 1 through 4 of John 14. Now Thomas here, which I assume he was probably speaking for the majority when he said, said unto the Lord, we know not where you go and how can we know the way? And that's when Jesus said to them, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 70 says, if you had known me, you should have known my Father. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. So you have this statement here of he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. There's no way to, to get to the Father but by him or through him. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, talking about the sacrifice of the mosaical, or not the yeah, uh, the mosaical law, you have the blood of bulls and goats and he talks about how the blood of bulls and goats could not remit sin. It couldn't forgive sin. It simply pushed that sin forward until the coming of the Savior. In John 1 and verse 29, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So, we have that sacrifice. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says that He might sanctify us or cleanse us with His blood He suffered without the gate. When you look at Revelation 1 verse 5 talking about the cleansing of, with the blood of Jesus, that He cleansed our sins. When He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me or through me, 
The Scripture does nothing but back up the statement that salvation is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is through Him. Jesus never presents Himself in the Scriptures as a Savior, a Redeemer, but the Savior, the Redeemer. He is not a way, He is the way. He is the one and only mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 Jesus was not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God. John 1.29 You go to Ephesians 4. We have one Lord, one God, one Spirit, one body, one faith, one baptism, and one hope. It's not a Savior, it's the Savior. It's not a way, it's the way. John chapter 18. Verse 38, Pilate was speaking to Jesus. He said, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus answered that statement for us in John chapter 14 and verse 6 when he said, I am the truth. In John 17 and verse 17, he says, that word is truth. If you look at John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word of Christ is truth. When Jesus came into this world, grace and truth came in it. The salvation, the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, who became a sacrifice on our behalf. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made righteousness through Him, or by Him, because of Him, because of that sacrifice. You know, when the Jesus was performing the miracles, and the multitude was following and He knew why they were following Him. They were following Him because He was feeding and he started teaching the hard sayings. And they said, who can do this? These are hard sayings. And they, and they go away in John chapter 6. And Jesus turns and looks at the apostles and says, will you two also go away now? In John 6, 68, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. When in John 11, verse 25, He said, I am the, the, the resurrection. And I am the life. He let them know that the way to, G, the way to God, the way to heaven, the way through in salvation was through Him. 
will be forgiven of sin to be resurrected on the day of judgment and to be found in favor with God was through Him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Um, does anybody got any questions or comments thus far? Yes, sir. You can correct me if or, or disagree with me if you think. I think we're, and I agree with your statement. Uh, I think in John, uh, let me flip over here. Before I say the wrong, in John six where he says, "I'm the bread of life," I think that's exactly what he's making a reference to is the the uh, spiritual life, uh, and maybe more here would be the the uh, eternal life. Uh, I may not be right there, but I think that's exactly right. When he's talking about being alive, there's more than one life. There's the spiritual, the everyday life, and then you have the eternal, which would be uh, abiding with him in heaven for, for throughout eternity. Anybody else? I don't see any other uh, hands. When I tell you that John 14 is uh, definitely one of my most favorite passages of all Scripture. Um, it's just so hard to be a Christian and not look at that first verse when he says, let not your heart be troubled, and just not to look at this passage and just not be relieved and be thankful. Because he tells us that, that we have a home with him eternally. And there is... There's, there's no more worry. There's no more fear. There's no more anguish. There's no more anxiousness. It's just, it's taken care of. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. It just, my opinion, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, in two, two weeks, when I'm teaching again on the 24th, uh, I will give another verse that's my favorite. Don't don't disagree with me. Uh, we'll just go with it, okay? Uh, the final of the I am's in John is John 15 where he says, I am the vine. John 15 where he says, I am the vine. Now, I will. I have looked at this passage, and I've tried to understand to the best of my ability what he meant by saying, "I am the vine." And I will tell you that I have read some stuff that makes me think uh, a particular way, and then you read something else, and you might think a different way. And I'm not exactly. Uh, being a part of the vine is being in contact with the source. And having the nutrients. If you've ever been a gardener, uh, if you've ever been 
uh, someone who has you know flowers or plants outside at your house, you know, uh, every not every year. Uh, a couple years ago, we moved, and it's been more difficult to try to have a garden. We've always tried to do a little bit of a garden. Uh, seems like usually we're busier than we think we are. We try a garden, and we get some fruit off of it or, or some yield, but not as much as we could if we had spent as much time working it as needed. Uh, but this year, we planted tomatoes, and they started out great. I mean, I had a, a big tomato for sandwiches, and I, I love a tomato sandwich. And then my tomato plants just died. I mean, dried up, nothing left. I watered them. I tried everything I could, and they completely died. And when you read this, this I am, having experiences like that, I think, helps. You gotta... I think in the follow, for the following reasons. When you think of the relationship between vine and branch, you're thinking of a relationship that starts to greater and goes to lesser. So like you say, the vine becomes the source, the branch, the recipient. That's why Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. But joined with him, we'll bear much fruit. As I thought about that over the years, I, it, it points me to what is written elsewhere in Scripture. All good things come from the Father of lights. Again, the relationship of from greater to lesser. Blessings. That's how I understand the statement Jesus made where he is the vine. He says, I am the vine. He's establishing that relationship. I've always thought it emphasized the importance of us understanding God is the Father of lights. He causes all things to work for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And uh, yes, the the greater to the lesser, I, th I do think, is the the key here um, to the source. Um, so you have here uh, in verse one of John fifteen, which says, "I am the vine; my Father is the vine dresser." He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the, world, of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So this I am statement here talking about I am the vine and, and bearing fruit in him or through him. Like I was talking about my tomato plant, it was doing great. I mean, and then watering it and no matter what I seemed to do, it just died. It decided it was no longer going to bear fruit. So to be in Christ, 
reading this statement about the vine and him saying, I am the vine, uh, he is my source to that which is good. Things that I do in him, Philippians tells us I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I am in Christ, the works that I do are fruitful. But if I separate myself from Christ, the works that I do are unfruitful. I think, first, well, I, I look at when what we were talking about in when we were talking about I am the door and I am the good shepherd and how the, you had the different variations and, and sects uh, of the time that Jesus was there and you had people teaching contrary to the will of God, contrary to the law of Moses and how you have that today. You have people out there who are claiming to be a part of the vine and claiming to spread the word of God but their work is fruitless because they're not connected to the source. They're not using the source for their fruit bearing. It would be like having a garden and having plants in it that are, are, are beneficial to you, that are good for the body and growing them. And then you have other plants that are poisonous and they're trying to deceive you in thinking that they are healthy. They're good, but they're not. So you have... Jesus being the vine and being the source of all things good and those that are in Him are fruitful and if they're not fruitful, they're no longer a part of the body or no longer a part of the vine. They'll be uh, cut off, cast off. So, <laughs> you have several uh, benefits to understanding the I am's of Jesus. You have several uh, it's just lessons that can be learned when you look at the eyes of Jesus. It's like we are talking about, the multiple points of the spiritual life and the eternal life and that He is the way and through Him is the only way. And it's all stuff that we as Christians probably understand, probably know, probably have known for a long time. When you sit down and look at the eyes of Jesus, you sit down and you look at exactly what He's saying and what each one of them means and the how that you have to have that bread of life to survive. To be a Christian. To be on earth, we understand that we have to eat to survive. To be a Christian, you have to eat spiritually to survive and you have to have the Word that is God. I like what I could say. This one was my favorite verse too, I guess. We was talking about in John chapter 6 when when God looked at the apostles, and, or not God, Jesus looked at the apostles and said, will you two also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. When you look at the words of Jesus, and like I said in this class, I was asked to teach about the names of Jesus. And Paul said specifically those that Jesus used to refer to himself. Well, he has the words of everlasting life. John 12 tells us that he has, he has spoken the words that will judge us. If we, ha we have his words and we receive them, the same will judge us in the last day. His words are, are so important to us as Christians. His teachings are oh so important. So looking at what he said about himself, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No man goes to the Father but by him. There are so many rich and wonderful lessons to learn. Anybody else have a question before I...
That's all I have for you. I thank you for your kind attention. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.